Welcome everybody to Churn Hacking, a customer success podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Nathan. In this series, we'll be speaking with customer success leaders and inspirational speakers to understand their views on CS and learn how they rose to prominent leadership positions in their careers. In these interviews, we'll be discussing how they led customer success organizations, their views on the industry, and sharing some best practices that hopefully you can take away and implement in your roles to help your team run more efficiently and effectively. Welcome to Churn Hacking. Now, joining me today is Boaz R. Bell. Boaz is the VP of Operations and Support at Logs.io. Really, really pleased to have him with us today. I really appreciate you giving us up your time, Boaz. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me here, uh, Daniel. That's uh, exciting. Boaz, I think it would be great if you could start off by telling us a bit about your background and how you initially got started in customer success. Sure, I'd be happy to. So it started uh, about 15 years ago, I would say, yeah, with a company called Profitect uh, that started, uh, it's an Israeli, uh, it was an Israeli company recently acquired by Zebra Technology. Uh, started as a consultancy group, moved to sell software, and then moved to SaaS. And with this company, I moved from being a consultant to being head of professional services. And when we moved to offer SaaS solution, we realized that we had to change to a customer success methodology. Um, and I grew up personally, professionally with the company, uh, moved from Israel to Boston in Massachusetts, and um, that's how the transition happened and we utilized elements from professional services world and methodologies into a new concept of customer success that we needed to learn and evolve as it was just the very beginning days of customer success and SaaS offering. I think it'd be really good if you could tell us how did the transition from a role in professional services into your current company, Logs.io. How did that transition come about? I think the, the biggest aha moment that we had is uh, when, I, when I bought a car, um, I just came to the US and I had no credit history, so I couldn't get a car in lease. So I bought a car for cash and the dealer basically couldn't care less that I wouldn't come again to buy another car. Once he sold me the car, that's it. I'm gone for it versus the lease. They wanted to make sure that by the end of the lease term, after two years or three years, depends what you take, you for sure, it will be no brainer for you to come back and to pick up another car from them and not from someone else. And I thought, hey, that's what are they doing differently in order to make sure that I'm still staying engaged to them, even though I'm driving my car, I'm having a good time, but they, communicate with me, they follow up, they survey me. And I think it was a great aha moment because we're not anymore selling software that once you sold it, that's it. It's so-called your problem, whether you use it or not, whether you're happy or not, uh, whether you are utilizing all the functionalities or not, whether you see value or not. We realize that we have the customer's success is our responsibility. We have to keep the customer happy and see value throughout their life. Um, so when renewal comes, that's a no brainer. It's, it's not that now we start renewal efforts. It's not that we have a renewal team to make sure that we encourage that. But 
it's just uh, natural that they'll uh, grow with us. So I think that was the biggest insights that we got. I tell you, that's a fantastic insight because I think the, and I agree with you 100% there, and I think one of the common mistakes a lot of companies, be it SaaS, at any level, whether they're startup, scale up, scale up, mid-market, is that a lot of uh, companies make the mistake of thinking the renewal begins or the renewal process begins maybe three months or two months before the end of the contract. When in fact, as you say, the idea of true customer success is that the renewal starts on day one, right? Um, so the whole pipe, the whole journey, the whole customer journey, right, is, is all about uh, preparing for renewal, if you like. So I, I definitely agree with that. Absolutely. And, and the key word here is a journey. It's a journey within a customer from the moment they contacted us uh, the very first contact for uh, for a demo, for some questions throughout the sales cycle and onwards. But it's also a journey for the customer success organization within a company and for the entire company, because we see a constant evolution of the customer success methodology and, and place in the business world. And we see companies that it takes them a while, but they graduate from one step to another on a maturity scale of being a top in class customer success delivery. So you alluded there um, in regards to uh, your customer success methodology at logs.io. Um, and you also touched on it before about how you view customer success as um, ensuring the customer gets value out of the product. But could you expand on that a little bit? Like what is your, at a sort of like a high level, what does customer success mean to you? Customer success means the world for me. <laughs> That's if uh, to answer with a smile. Um, for me now, on a serious side, um, customer success to me means um, moving your company, your organization to be customer centric and to engage the entire organization around the customer. How to do that? what it means, what it entails, that's technical. But that's the, the, the core of customer success is to make everyone in the organization understand that we are all here to make the customer happy and see value using our services or system, okay? For me, customer success is to be able, and that's on everyone at the organization, not just the customer success people, to be able to identify the key players at your customers and bring them to a state in which they feel and show externally that they've gained value and achieved the business outcomes and even personal wins out of using your system or services. And that's while undergoing great customer experiences. So it's, it's a little long, but the core of that is know who you're dealing with, who makes the decisions, who gives a thumbs up and who writes the check at the end and make sure they see value and they are happy with every contact point they have with your company. I think that's a fantastic answer uh, and I couldn't, could not agree with you more. Uh, and I particularly like your philosophy on how the idea of true customer success is building your customer success organization around the customer rather than a very common uh, issue, I think, is a lot of 
customer success organizations will make the customer fit into their current strategy, their current customer success strategy. So one thing that uh, might mean success to the business does not mean success to the customer. And I think this is a, a very common mistake. So I really, really like the fact that you're, you're very passionate about building a success organization around the customer. I think that's fantastic. Um, we're going to uh, move maybe like a little step forward before we go back to customer success here. And you are currently, um, or I should say recently, a VP of operations uh, and support at logs.io, having previously been the uh, VP of customer success. Um, touching on that in your recent transition into VP of operations, what, what skills and what experiences did you learn in your, uh, in your sort of years in customer success that you've been able to apply into your new role? <laughs> that that's very interesting and a very relevant question and i think that it's it's way more than a skill or skills it's a state of mind and a myth and a, a way of thinking because what i was asked by uh, tommy levy my ceo to do in operations for the very fast growing logs.io company um is to do for operations and for our infrastructure, communication, culture, uh, physical growth globally in London, in Kiev, in Boston, in the West Coast, um, and, and maybe soon to be um, in, in APAC too, um, is to do the same that we did for customer success, putting the employees in the middle and make sure we have the tools, the processes, the KPIs, the measurements to make sure that we are heading in the right direction and to serve the company the same way we did in customer success, flawless, efficient, and mainly with added value and happiness at the receiving end of that. For customer success, that was our customers. For operations, that's our own employees. So that's way beyond skills that's a state of mind for the skills i would say attentiveness so listen first and foremost listen and put yourself in the other side's side's shoes so really try to understand what they mean what they understood and what they didn't understand okay contain their learning you've been doing that for of the last three years now and you did that 200 times for them it's the first time don't forget that okay still stay open open-minded and flexible and represent them internally it goes both ways to customer success and to operations when an employee comes in with a complaint that the lights are too bright what you know first first reaction of an logistic person is what what the like what uh, what do you mean that's the lights we have here uh, that's the cheapest or that's the longest going or the the uh, the newest or it's irrelevant for the developer who needs to get to the best efficient delivery that's too bright let's see maybe the resolution is very simple very creative not even expensive and it's not just that he or she will be more effective, but they'll be so happy that people are listening to them and are going out of their ways to make them more successful. 
And I think that that's a commonality in the skills. So I like that very much, particularly how you've taken your um, custom success philosophy for your clients and applied it internally for your employees. I think that's a, a wonderful thing. It's, it's, it's great that the business has recognized the importance of, of custom success, both internally and externally. So, um, uh, you know, I take my hat off to you for uh, embracing that. You alluded to your earlier career in profit tech and in professional services, and you also stated how uh, you know you you got involved in. I guess maybe it might not have been termed customer success, you know, ten years ago, but it, it was essentially you know uh, in the same field of customer success. So you really do have a you know many years experience within this field. So considering um, when you started out in let's call it customer success, and today, how how have you seen? the industry change in terms of uh, the custom success? I'm a big believer in uh, terminology and acronyms. Uh, maybe it's my uh, military background. Maybe it's me being too anal and uh, just focusing on on whatever is said and written. But I'll give you an example of, what the, of the difference between, customers, between um, professional services and uh, customer success. We're all familiar with implementation. The term implementation is mainly associated with the professional services era because you, the professional services person, has a time and material scope to bring this customer up and running. You want to you make it on time or maybe earlier. You, you want to make it on budget or maybe lower okay and you just have to boom boom deliver that and let the customer sign off on that and way he goes and you go to the next customer versus the term in customer success which is onboarding for me and if you ever took a cruise and you came with your family and you were treated so nicely when you embarked on the on the ship that's for me onboarding i was so welcomed and I was make sure I was made sure that as I am onboarding, that's with a buildup for a great week to come, and not just okay, you are on board, that's it, you are, you are out of here. So that's one example on um, onboarding, um, um, sorry, implementation versus onboarding, which is a more ongoing approach. QBRs in professional services world, I don't recall a a often or a sequent QBR and a business review of how the customer is doing. You sold them, it's theirs. What they're doing with it, it's their problem. With QBRs, you set up the milestones moving forward and you plant the expectation of the customers that I will follow up with your success. I'm not going anywhere. I am partnering with you on your success and we'll revisit that within three months and six months and nine months. And we are not even talking about renewal because that's uh, as part of our business review. So that, that's two examples of the differences between professional services to customer success for me. Excellent. And where do you see customer success going in the future? Which direction is it heading in? What is the future landscape for customer success in your opinion? That's a great question that, that keeps all the customer success professionals uh, busy thinking and doing. Now, we mentioned earlier that customer success is a journey. 
both for the customer and for ourselves as customer success leaders and for the companies either stepping into this world or evolving within this world? And that's a very good question. I personally think that customer success will take, will get more and more responsibility and power within the organization. And with, with power comes great responsibility um, from a place of contribution to the company. So I think it will come on the expense of sales teams. No doubt in my mind that more and more companies will realize that customer success sales, especially for existing customers, so your current portfolio to expand that, which is easier to expand rather than to acquire a new customer. Everyone knows that by time, by uh, the costs of acquiring a new customer. And the ones to do that are the customer success professionals that are in constant contact with your customer. They know them intimately. They have their place of trusted advisors. And from that place, and we call it a wolf in sheep's clothes, um, you can do so much more. And when you deliver, when you sell, when you expand, the customer doesn't feel that he's been sold, but he was just helped to buy. And I think that, and, and note that I didn't mention renewal or churn at all. That's kind of a passive activity for me or a protecting your book of business. I'm not about protecting. I'm about being proactive, move forward, expand. And I think that's one of the areas we'll see customer success stepping in, and, and that would be on the expense of sales. Another area is all the customer marketing, uh, even product marketing. Companies will do wisely if they'll utilize their customer success teams to do more and to lead the fronts of customer advocacy, customer representation, communications with customers, um, PR, product. So using more the, the customer success professionals as the voice of the customer internally in the company for product, for features, for functionalities, for satisfaction. That's a fantastic answer. Something I, I could not agree more with, particularly uh, the point you made regarding um, customer success essentially overtaking if you like sales as the the prominent you know organization uh, or the prominent department within an organization and that's you know i absolutely agree that and i'm hearing that more and more um and i think we're seeing that in in terms of more salespeople now uh, also uh, understanding that and also transitioning across to customer success roles and uh yeah i, I absolutely agree I, I think the the future of customer success is essentially encompassing what is now sales as well but in the role of a trusted advisor, which is a role that is appreciated, I think, a lot more by consumers now rather than being, they don't like being, as you said, they don't like being sold to. So being advised by someone they trust is uh, is very prominent in CS and I think will possibly uh, overtake uh, the sales operations. And, and considering the term trusted advisor, it's, from what I understand, the, the, the term trusted advisor is so prominent over at logs.io, in particular regarding the uh, this, the infrastructure of the customer success operations. Would you mind breaking down for me the structure of those customer success operations? Because you seem to have quite a, a unique customer success structure 
in place. Could you tell us a little bit more about that, please? Yeah, I'll be happy to. And actually, it's it's a great segue to something I wanted to elaborate on a specific word that you used uh, that I want to make sure our listeners are aware of. You said customer success will take over sales roles. And take over for me is a very militant and, and strong word. I'm not, I have no intent to put anyone down or any other organization put them down in order to make myself bigger or more important. What I mean is that the dominancy and the place around the conversations with prospects and customers will be way more on the customer success side with the sales team more facilitating the sales process, the commercial activity, but there'll be more and more place for technical and professional and value-based discussion within every contact point with a customer. So it's not that we are driving sales off the table, but we, we customer success professionals get more responsibility to drive this forward. And now to your question, um, I utilized in both in Profitech and now in, in the last three years in Logs.io, methodology that I brought with me from the Israeli Air Force. Uh, I was a fighter navigator of an A4, a Skyhawk for many, many, many years, um, a little over the 20 years. And for a two-seaters jet with a pilot and a navigator, you have to develop and adopt a very clear methodology of teamwork, of communication. And that's all in um, almost speed of sound activities uh, under threats and risks and at life-threatening um, occasions. So communication and responsibilities should be clear between the two cells, if you want, the two cockpits. Uh, and we adopted that to Logs.io customer success and sales operations. So we work in couples. We work, uh, there's always two people, at least two people who are uh, handing the either the prospects or the customer's hands. And it's very clear of who's leading the current process with the customer. And the second person is sitting as a shotgun for the other one and has very specific roles while sitting in the back seat. Okay, it doesn't mean that he's less important, he or she, or that they have a different say, a less say, they just, that the role is now different. And I'll give you an example how we do that. The, the salesperson is leading the very first engagement. Once we are asked about professional aspects, the customer success is waiting for the salesperson queue to jump in. Now it's not taking anything of their ego it's just that this is the agreed communication um, signs, okay? Because it might be that the salesperson would like to do another maneuver, another, another bypass and to deliver a point and only then I should come in as a customer success contributor, okay? But I am part of the pre-signage discussions as well, okay? Once it moves to professional level, I'm the leader now and I can cue the salesperson when I want them to jump in back in 
in order to close the session or to take it to another direction. So it's really a handover of the baton on an ongoing basis. Um, it moves on to after the customers are becoming a permanent customer. And now it's an escalation point because we are limited by the technology. And I want the uh, salesperson or the account manager is, who is more on the sales side to deliver bad news. Not that I'm afraid of delivering bad news, but it's the salesperson or the account manager that sees a bigger picture and can communicate a, uh, in a different way. Um, so that's basically how we work in couples. Everyone has their role. We switch who's leading a process on the go on based on phases and activities. That's it. Tell me, you, your customer success managers, as they were, are actually referred to as customer success engineers. Can you explain the, the thinking behind that? Sure. Um, at Logs.io, we are delivering a very technical platform. Um, we offer uh, observability platform for customers, for our customers. And our main users are developers, DevOps, engineers, SecOps, engineers, knock engineers, etc., and the support engineers and the common denominator of all those end users roles is the word engineers and selling and servicing engineers is a different approach than selling to business, to marketing people, to HR people, to salespeople, to finance teams, etc. And it requires a state of mind of engineers. So we realized that at the very, very early stages and we not, and I told you earlier that I'm listening to words and, and names and terminology means a lot for me. And we changed the term from customer success managers to customer success engineers to make sure that we give our customers the best experience of people like them who have the same areas of interest so uh, I'll get back to that uh, because we do get to personal um, uh, relationship with our customers. And when, when we are talking about our hobbies, so our hobbies, hobbies are typically quite the same of our customers, okay? It's the same um, age group. It's the same uh, areas of interest. Um, so that's nice. We deliver our customers with engineers who can give them straight and squared answers, no fluff. That's what it is. It's straight to the point uh, question. Yet, we make sure that our customer success engineers and even our support engineers remember that they have to earn their own bread. It's not that we are nice and cozy and uh, um, about TLC all the way all the way long. We are doing that because we want to give our customers the best service and to realize where's the opportunity for growth and to ensure the renewal. So we have a role here that is directly related to money at the end of the day. And by the way, the customer success engineers and the support engineers are measured and compensated based on our commercial activities, on renewals, on expansions, 
on satisfaction, etc. Okay, and I, that's a fantastic point, and uh, you alluded to very earlier in the conversation uh, about how customer success is about being the trusted advisor. So, with the with the approach that you've taken, that logs I O have taken to ensuring that the customer success engineers, stroke customer success managers, are thinking uh, along the same level as your clients, or same background, your clients, same interest, same uh, tech, same professional qualifications. I think that really goes a long way to help ensure they are deemed to be the trusted advisor by the client. So I think that's fantastic. Um, discussing your your uh, compensation package, if you like, for the customer success engineers, it's a very good segue into the next question I have for you. And that's regarding the, um, the KPIs or the OKRs or metrics for customer success uh, engineers or for customer success managers in general. What are the key KPIs required to run a successful success organization? So obviously it changes between companies, between between the industries you are working or selling or servicing to, between the maturity of your company, the maturity of your product, the maturity of the market to consume your product or services. So it's not by all means a cookie cutter for all customers. But I think the common denominator should be customer satisfaction measured by whatever you choose, NPS, and we can talk about frequency of uh, NPS. It can be customer satisfaction surveys, uh, either a holistic survey or an ongoing transactional, uh, quick, smiley-based scale um, when whenever reaching out to your uh, support. Um, when if you use it in QBRs and, and take the last five minutes to kind of interview in person the uh, main key holders, whatever it is, it's customer satisfaction. That's one. Second is renewal or renewal or attrition. Uh, that's a, the, the base of any SaaS um, organization. The third would be expansion out of your existing portfolio. It can be based on logos, based on dollars or pounds or whatever, um, or both, a combination. Um, but that's these are the three main three main KPIs I can think of. What we are compensating on that's a little different. I'll touch on that in a second. Other KPIs that you can think of is num number of touch points with key holders at the customer and a company can can decide that uh, with these customers of this highest segment that you have that is prioritized higher than the other segments i'd like you to touch base with a key holder at least once a month okay and that becomes a kpi because if you did three touch points with three different key holders that's better than none or one a touch point uh, another kpi can be number of qbrs i'm not talking about the content or the quality but even just to be able to put your foot in the customer's uh, schedule timeline get their attention at a certain level of um, seniority and 
review with them how much they how they're using your system and how much value they see and what feedback they have and what they would like to see us moving forward with and we want to share what we are going forward with and and get their feedback and get them jump on a, a better version uh, group of users so uh, they can become even stronger partners with us etc so that can be another kpi of uh, how many QBRs you did. Another QBR is, is proactive engagement of how many times they, the customers, participated in our PR attempts. Have they joined us to uh, a shared webinar? Have they showed up for a conference or a, a meetup that we organized in their town? Um, have they um, left a review on G2 Crowd or Captera or, or anything uh, like that? Have they been vocal for us? So that's, um, that's another KPI possible. For the compensation part of your question, at Logs.io, what we did, first and foremost, tied by the hip, the customer success compensation with the account manager compensation. We made sure that those two roles that are handing the customer's hands right after they sign the contract, they are responsible for the same things in the same way, at the same weights. And we, in order to make sure that they both understand that the most important thing is get the existing book of business the same, so renewal, that holds 60% of their entire compensation, both for the AM and the CSM. And the rest of the 40% is expansion. So they're both getting 40% of their variable, whatever it is, it's very individual, but 40% of that is based on the growth of the existing book of business. The rest are KPIs that are valid, but are not getting into the compensation formula. I like that very much. Thank you, Boaz, for sharing that with us. Um, one particular challenge that a lot of early stage uh, customer support organizations have is with customer segmentation. So how to divide your customer base in a way that makes sense from a business perspective, taking into account um, you know, commercial and resource limitations. So how, how do you segment your clients at Logs.io? It's important to, to address to our listeners that segmentation is a key thing. Maybe one of the first things you'd like to make sure you have when you set up from scratch a customer success organization, or if you just got a new role and you, get in, you got into a new organization and there's no segmentation, I would advise you to take care of segmentation as one of your very first activities because that's the key for so many things. It's the key for knowing your customers, knowing your market, knowing your um, key holders, knowing your list of available resources that are standing and waiting for you to use or that you have to go and make sure you have to use. Um, what's your customer's expectations, etc. And once you define the right segments or you are not sure if it's the right segment, define something and start rolling with it. Check it out 
in a month, in three months. Revisit that and fine tune the boundaries between the segments, but don't wait until you have the perfect and the 100% correct segmentation, but just start rolling, define something. There's enough knowledge in the company if you just put them together to know more or less what's right for the company. Okay, you can segment by geography, you can segment by industry, you can segment by size of company or ARR. Okay, everything is legit, whatever works for you. What we did in, and again, just get going, just get going and fine tune as you move. The way we did it in Logs.io, and that was a journey too, we, were, we didn't do that. Um, correctly or 100% correctly the at the first stage. And I, I must give credit to my peer, uh, Brian Kirk, who is our VP of account management, who joined later on. And, and when he joined and we started working on that, I got his aspect on that and we added and we elaborated how we, um, how we segment our customers. At the very beginning, we just segmented our customers based on ARR. So up to a certain level, we uh, from from the bottom, we call it C segment. That was the smallest customers. Then above this threshold and uh, up to a certain dollars, we call it B segment. And then above a certain threshold, it was A segment customers. We had about 10% of our portfolio as A segment customers, about 30% as B and 60% is C. So that's a ratio, 10, 30, 60, that I would recommend you to take. So even if you have no idea how to segment your customers and you think that ARR is a good base of segmentation, just list, them from, list your customers from the top pair to the least pair, just cut the 10%, call it A, the next 30, or 20 if you want, if you don't have enough resources, call it B and the rest 60 or 70%, call it C. Magically enough, thanks to Pareto, the, the mathematician, the Pareto rule, the 2080 rule, you'll be shocked how the 10% of your customers generate around 80% of your income. The big customers generates about 10%. And the C is a very, very long tail of customers who are asking a lot of your resources. And when realizing that, that will drive you to adopt way more of a low touch activities and tools and processes. Sometimes even not just low touch, but tech touch. So almost no human intervention. And it starts from pre-sales to signature to self-onboarding, self-serving, self-expansion. Um, and it's not a bad, it's not a bad word, um, low touch or tech touch. It just to make sure that you give the right customer the right resource to ensure their satisfaction and your business stability. So it's, it's not a bad word for me. And it's not an, an, an alternative tech touch. It's not a substitute to bad service. Because uh, <laughs> sometimes you say, oh, tech touch, I got it. Just leave the customer alone. No, no. Absolutely, that's fantastic. And I think that's a, a, 
uh, certainly a challenge a lot of uh, customer success organizations have in terms of an, our usual 10, 30, 60 segment. So with the 60 being the low touch or the tech touch, I think uh, a lot of organizations have a, a problem of how do we address the tech touch? Because as you say, is it a case of you're now a customer, here's some help articles, this is what you need to do, see you later, we'll be in touch with you in you know nine months for, for the renewal. So um, it's, it's great to hear as well that at Logs.io you've, you've addressed that problem and you understand that it's still low touch, it doesn't mean bad customer service, that's a fantastic point. How has COVID impacted the day-to-day -day operations of your customer success functions? You know, be that either the, the sort of general ability to, for your customer success engineers to carry out their roles or perhaps you know, your customers having been impacted and then the effect that has had on your customer success operations. Can you tell me a little bit about that, please? Sure. So first, COVID sucks. That's, <laughs> that's a fact. And the question in life and in business is not if you'll encounter difficulties. It's just when and how big and how you're going to react to that. I think that companies that are nimble and ready to and flexible enough to change and to adopt reacted better to that. Um, we obviously, no one expected that to be as big and, and as long as, as we are still encountering that. But it made a big impact on, on everyone's and on Logs.io. Lucky enough for us, not so much that it ruined our operations or business. Um, yes, we saw an instant stop on new processes or sales, um, of which later on was released a little bit, but we saw an instant stop of interest. Um, we saw current processes slowing down significantly, and that's understood because companies took the time to evaluate what's next and how they should react, um, including on existing expansion for with, with the current portfolio customers. However, lucky enough for Logs.io, um, we, are, um, we are based on the amount of data that our customers are using and the amount of data due to COVID not reduced, but the contrary, increased. Okay, so from a business perspective, that's good for us. You can say, hey, wait a second, you are customer success. Are you happy with the customers that are now paying more? It's a difficult time. So as a businessman, I would say, yes, I'm happy for customers paying me more. That's what I'm here for. I'm, I'm not hiding behind that. However, what we did, it pushed us to a different level of thinking how we can reduce the costs now for our customers. And we initiated a whole cost reduction campaign that started deep internally within the customer, within the company, within Logs.io to reduce our costs. And our biggest costs are our hosting costs. Um, and we found we, we just in a super creative way by the great team we have the engineering and the product team we have we found ways to reduce the internal cost and we apply that to our customers so what happened is that we've seen an increasing data usage but the bottom line for the customer was lowered from an operations perspective yes it hit us however anyways most of our activities with the customers were mainly online. Yes, we visited the biggest customers on site, um, the traditional way of 
a day of training, a day of QBR and, and meetings with uh, key executives over there. That obviously stopped. We all moved working from home, both in Israel, in Boston, in London, in Kiev, uh, Kiev, Ukraine. But the team was so flexible and so responsible to keep on delivering and over delivering by the way even just to show management that yes we can do it from home and maybe you would consider post-covid letting us work more from home so it was kind of a motivational thing for everyone to to uh, demonstrate the efficiency when working from home Um, and overall it works quite well for us to an extent that we are considering moving forward with more, much more flexibility of uh, work from home, of which, by the way, it relates not just for the existing employees, but also for future hiring. It will enable us, for example, hiring more people who are not at the direct perimeter around the very expensive cities like Boston, London, and Tel Aviv, but hiring from other places where they have much more talents there and maybe even less competition over employees. Another aspect of fighting uh, COVID is um, our employees. And I I would say the main front of fighting COVID is our employees. And in these unprecedented times when everything is unknown at at so many levels, your personal, your family, your professional, your customers, your company's health and future, everything is is debatable. We wanted to make sure our our employees, sorry, you see, I keep on saying customers when I'm thinking of our employees, just because I I treat them with a customer success leader mind in in head. We wanted to make sure that they are in the know, that they feel comfortable and confident enough, and they trust us leadership to do the right thing. So we moved into constant communication with them on a daily basis. So every leader, every team leader meets his team or her team at least once a day, either for a quick stand up in the morning or both a stand up and a close up of a day uh, communicating, put, leaving a lot of um, space for questions, for 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 concerns, either on a professional level or just on a very personal level. We are lucky enough. We in Logsail are lucky enough to be very well funded, so we should be very thankful for that. So we have our own reserves in the bank, though we treated the situation as if it's a war and we are fighting for our lives and it's a message that went throughout the lines and we ask everyone to join the war for our survival as if we have zero dollars in our bank zero we are with our back to the wall and fighting for our lives now we cut significantly at any unnecessary expense we stopped almost any future hiring unless it's a very critical role and we kept on hiring and in return to our customer uh, to our employees engagement we had we have not laid off even a single employee based on covid situation we have not sent anyone to an unpaid 
leave. We have not reduced scope of work or um, payment to anyone. And that's quite unique, I think. So we, we could have done that. We decided not to do that. And again, we are lucky, we can, but I think the fight for cost reduction with the engagement of everyone's on board to over deliver balances one another and whomever is with us, I hope stays with us for the longer term, feeling so much engaged and thankful for the company. And we know that we have the right staff to, uh, to go to war with. I'll give you an example. We are, we've moved in Boston from an old office to a new office, a bigger office about nine months ago. And we still had the old office under agreement. Unfortunately, we couldn't get rid of that. We couldn't sublease it. And by the end of June, we have to, that, that's it. The, uh, the rent ends. And as the head of operations now, I have to make sure that it's empty. Now, you know, I'm, I'm new to that and I said, wait, wait a second, what do you mean to make sure it's empty? We have 50 desks, 50 chairs, cabinets, um, conference tables. It's a lot. How do I get rid of that? So I open it to uh, employees to take whatever they want. So people came in, took desks, pictures, chairs, but there are many young employees to live out of the city because it's expensive to live in Boston. Like I'm sure it's expensive to live in London and they wanted a chair. I, I have a pickup truck on my way home. I dropped off chairs to two employees. Now for me, it's nothing about being less important or senior. The contrary, if I can do the favor of someone and get to their home, and drop off a chair in a, in a two drawers cabinet. Next time that I'll ask him or her to jump on a call late night or over the weekend because there's crisis, what do you think they say? No, I'm busy. Of course not. I love that. That's fantastic, Boaz. And I think it's a testament to Logs.io uh, in the way that they've put the employees' welfare first. And I guess it relates to your your personal mission of implementing a customer success philosophy and mindset internally amongst the employees. And I think that will certainly pay uh, dividends in the future with employees' loyalty and sentiment. So that's really great to hear. And on that note, that brings us to the end of today's show. My thanks to Boaz Arbel, VP of Operations and Support at Logs.io. Boaz, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Daniel, for hosting me. It was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I hope I could accommodate all your questions and uh, to be of any value, speaking of customer success, of any value to those who listen to us. And uh, I wish you all the best moving forward. So that's it for this episode. My thanks again to Boaz Arbel from Logs.io. If you haven't already, please remember to subscribe to this podcast to ensure you receive all upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening to Churn Hacking, a customer success podcast. Until next time, take care.